Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, we just sent a short video from Elisa Childers to our email subscribers. As you may know, Elisa Childers uh, has written a book called Another Gospel that deals with progressive Christianity. In fact, she's about to teach a course here for us. Uh, if you go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it. It starts in April on this issue of progressive Christianity. And uh, it's a short video. In fact, Jorge and and uh, Elisa had an interview not long ago, and they took this short segment of this interview uh, to deal with this question. Is it wrong to expose false teachers... Because if you do that, that will lead to division. And we're supposed to be about unity, right? So if you start pointing out false teachers, that's going to lead to division. And we don't want that. We want unity. In fact, Paul even says in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, then you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians chapter 4, right? I mean, we're supposed to be about unity. So would it, would it be wrong to try and call out false teachers? Now, Elisa's answer was about four minutes. I want to expand upon it. It was a great answer, but I want to go even deeper. Because, you know, Jesus also prayed for our unity. In John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, when he's praying for us, he says, first of all, he's praying for the disciples and then praying for people who would hear his message or hear their message, the message he gave them through the New Testament, which would be us. He's praying for us. He says this in verse 20 of John 17. This is the Lord speaking. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. So those of us who read the New Testament, that's who he's praying for. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are, I in them and you in me, so that they may brought they so that they may be brought to complete unity. This is the Lord speaking, complete unity. Then the Lord will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world, unquote. That's Jesus in John 17. By the way, there's another statement of Jesus that just an everyday man would never say. This man was God. He would, an everyday man couldn't say that he got glory, that God himself has given glory because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What, what, what any everyday man would say that? 
Now, Jesus was God. Of course, he had two natures. He had a human nature and a divine nature, as, as we've talked about before. But he wasn't just a man. He was also God. So would it be wrong, again, to expose false teachers when Jesus and Paul are saying we need to be unified? Would it be wrong? Yes, Jesus and Paul, they, they all want unity. But they, they want unity in what? Do they want unity in error or unity in truth? Because Jesus also said this as recorded in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Ladies and gentlemen, so far this doesn't sound like unity to me. He goes on. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Obviously, this is the best life now message. No, of course not. Jesus is saying that it's going to be difficult following me, that you're going to have to divide with people, that you're going to have to say, I stand with Jesus. And if you don't stand with Jesus, that's going to cause division. Now, you know this. If you're a Christian, you know that there are probably people in your own family that don't agree with you. There are certainly people out in the culture that don't agree with you. And that causes division. That causes trouble. It's not peace. Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth. He came to not bring peace, he says, but a sword. Wow, whoever preaches on this stuff? Does anyone ever really preach on this? If we, if we just have this one-sided preaching that Jesus is all about peace and love, which of course he is, but that doesn't mean he's going to be able to bring it when people disagree with his message and people oppose his message. You will be ostracized. You will be persecuted. You will be in difficult situations when you follow Jesus. So all this talk doesn't sound very unifying, unifying to me. It doesn't sound like unity at all costs is, is the top priority. It seems that Jesus wants unity in the truth. In fact, Jesus and his apostles warned us. They warned us about false prophets. Here are just some of the passage, passages that warn us about false prophets. Jesus himself said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In fact, if you're going to be a shepherd, you have to protect. A shepherd protects the flock from wolves, don't they? That's what they do. This uh, imagery, this metaphor is used throughout the Bible about a shepherd taking care of his sheep. And Jesus says, there's going to be false prophets out there who come to you in sheep's clothing, but they're really ravenous wolves. What are, we, what are we supposed to do about this? Are we supposed to expose these people? We'll get there. 
John says in 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Peter says in 2 Peter 2, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, now here we're getting into it, right? Expose these unfruitful works of darkness? Aren't we supposed to just be quiet? Aren't we supposed, supposed to just in the name of unity not mention people who are uttering false teachings inside the church or people who claim to be true prophets when they really aren't? Well, Paul seems to be hinting, no, we need to expose these people. In his letter to the church at Colossae, he says this. This is Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Some translations say vain philosophy. It would be self-defeating to say no philosophy, but this is vain philosophy, empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do this? We're going to unpack this more right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek. On the American Family Radio Network, the podcast is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. If you're listening on radio and want to hear this again, and we're back in just two minutes, so don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. The podcast and radio show is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And uh, that's a book, by the way, if you're interested in that topic. What evidence do we have that Christianity is true? Well, actually, we go present this on college campuses and also at churches and high schools. I'm going to be at Freedom House Church this Sunday up at Lake Norman near Charlotte, North Carolina. In fact, we're going to talk about the prodigal son parable at that particular service. If you're anywhere near Charlotte or Cornelius, North Carolina, hope to see you here uh, at Freedom House Church. In fact, go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on events, and uh, you will see the complete schedule there. The uh, next day... Uh, uh, Lord willing, I'll be at the University of Utah. That's Monday night. I want to say that's uh, March 14th. And then the following night, Boise State University. Again, we're going to be doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. This will be live stream if everything works out. Uh, and technically, our, uh, our great uh, live streamer and uh, video whiz, the great Clint Bolin, will be streaming all that for you from University of Utah and Boise State on those two nights. Uh, and uh, as you know, we take questions at these college campus events. So if you've already seen the presentation and want to fast forward to the question, questions about an hour and a half or so, a little more than that, into the event, the questions will begin. 
So you can tune into that on our YouTube channel, also on our app, the Cross-Examined app, two words in the App Store. It's also on Facebook, Instagram. We try and stream all these things. Uh, also on our website, crossexamined.org. So check all that out this coming week and value your prayers as we go into the lion's den, uh, into schools, uh, universities that generally, as you know, are not friendly to Christianity. Uh, these events, as you know, are open to all people, not just students. So if you're from the community and want to attend, uh, just check our website, crossexamined.org, click on events, you'll see it there. Today we are talking about this issue should we expose false teachers? On one hand, Paul, Jesus, and some of the other apostles are saying, hey, we have to be unified. On the other hand, they also point out there are false teachers out there. And Jesus even says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring it a sword. It's going to divide mother and father, or it's going to divide uh, mother and daughter, father and son. It's going to divide families. I'm going to divide families. And if you don't give up your life to follow me, you're not worthy to follow me. This is a hard teaching especially in cushy, comfortable America. We want to follow Jesus at least some of the way and also follow our own desires some of the way as well. And Jesus says, no, this, is, has, this, this has to be a complete sellout. You have to sell out to me to follow me. And we went through many of the passages just a minute or two ago or before the break regarding all of the passages that deal with false teaching and false prophets. What should we do about this? Well, here's a passage in the book of Romans, and I must confess, I, I never noticed this passage, and Elisa Childers brought it up in this short video that we sent to all our email subscribers. By the way, if you want to get one email a month, that one email a week, I should say, that has a short video in it that you can use not only for your own edification, but to uh, maybe teach others uh, just go to our YouTube channel. I'm sorry, go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on subscribe up there. We only send one email a week generally uh, about this. You're not going to be inundated with emails from us. We don't give our email, your email address to anyone else. So if you want to be a part of this, please do. Uh, anyway, we sent this email out uh, just this week uh, from Elisa Childers, and she pointed out that Romans 16, 17 has a very interesting is a very interesting passage on this topic. And I confess to you, I've preached through the entire book of Romans, and I never noticed this. Why? Because it's in flyover country. What's flyover country? The end of chapter 16. Most of chapter 16 are all greetings. They're greetings that Paul is saying to the church at Rome. In fact, one of the passages famously says, Romans 16, 13 says, Greet Rufus! <laughs> Sometimes when I sign my name in a book, I'll put Romans 16, 13, and people will go, wow, oh, I've never seen anybody quote that passage before. I wonder what it is. And they go <laughs> they go and find Romans 16, 13, and it says, greet Rufus. It sounds so prescriptive, doesn't it? Have you greeted Rufus today? No. You're in sin. No. This is just Paul telling the people in Rome to greet Rufus, a friend of his, who was in Rome. Uh, but it's not prescriptive for us. It's just a description of what Paul told the people in Rome to do. Anyway, four verses later, I'd never noticed this, but here's what it says. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, 
but by their own appetites. Or he say, or he says, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone who has heard about your obedience, the people at Rome, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and be innocent about what is evil. This is Romans 16, 17 to 19. Now, I never noticed this passage because, as I say, it's in the middle of all these salutations. It's in the middle of Paul just saying, hey, greet so-and-so. Hey, great to know you. I wish I, wish I was there. You know, stuff that you go, okay, I, I know it's in the Bible, but it's really, really personal to Paul. And so right in the middle of this is this passage. Now, notice the phraseology here. He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Now, who is causing divisions? It's not the people who, cause, who, who call out false teachers. It's the false teachers themselves. They're the ones causing divisions. It's not the people adhering to the teachings of the Bible. It's the false teachers who are causing the divisions. Those are the people that need to be called out. So if you're calling out false teachers, it's not you who is causing divisions. It's not you that's destroying unity. According to Paul, it's the false teachers who are causing divisions. Here's an analogy. To say those who are defending orthodoxy are causing division would be like claiming that President Zelensky in Ukraine is causing division rather than Putin. Putin is the divider, not Zelensky. Zelensky is a sheepdog trying to defend his people from the wolf Putin who seeks to divide and devour. So keep that in mind, that when you are defending orthodoxy, when you are defending Jesus, when you are defending the apostles, when you are defending the Bible, it's not you that's causing division. It's the people who are coming up with these new teachings that are contrary to the Bible. They are the wolves. They are the ones coming to seek and devour. They are the false teachers. And you need to expose them, as Paul says. In fact, uh, John Piper writes about this in an article. He says, in 1 Timothy 5, 19-20, Paul went, went beyond just avoid these false teachers to rebuke them publicly. He says, speaking of elders who persist in error, Paul said, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, and that can be a sin of false doctrine or a sin of evil behavior, anyone who does not accept correction, he says, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And then Piper says, Paul went on and actually named destructive false teachers. For example, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. That's 2 Timothy 4.10. Uh, he also says in 2 Timothy 1.15, 
You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Philgilus, not sure if I'm pronouncing that name right, Philgilus and Hermogenes. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, By rejecting this faith and good conscience, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And in 2 Timothy 2, he says, Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. So Paul names at least six false teachers in the church that the church should watch out for. Paul is rebuking these people in the Bible. If Paul can call out false teachers by name, then maybe we should as well. Now, this is not something you take lightly. If someone makes an honest error, then you don't call them out as a false teacher. If this is not a consistent thing, if this is just an error, you might try and contact them personally and say, hey, did you know you said this and it's been taken the wrong way? But if somebody persists in false teaching, particularly on the essentials, that's when you need to name them. You need to be a sheepdog to protect the sheep. Paul even rebuked Peter in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I told Peter to his face that he was wrong for trying to get the New Testament believers to obey the Old Testament law. Now, Peter may have not been a false teacher, but he certainly was putting forth a false example. And Paul rebukes him right there in the Bible, which is another one of these embarrassing details that no one would have invented. Paul is obviously not inventing this. It's embarrassing to have Peter being rebuked by him. Another apostle, who later, by the way, is, is, is called the first pope. Here's, here's, here's Paul rebuking the first pope in the Bible. So, this is not a made-up story, and it's pointing out that we need to stand for truth. When there are false teachers among us, we need to divide from them for the sake of unity in the truth. We don't want to have unity in error, but unity in the truth. So sometimes dividing from people for the sake of unity is actually the support of unity or actually fosters unity. We want to have unity in the truth. We want to have unity in the, in the essentials. We don't want to have unity in error. A little leaven leavens the whole batch. We can't allow false teachings to cause the church to start believing in false doctrine. And right after the break, we'll unpack this further and get to another topic that's real hot in the culture today, this supposed don't say gay bill, which is really the parental rights and education bill. We'll talk about it right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to... I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. We're back in just two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about false teachers right now. Should we call them out? And ladies and gentlemen, when you really look at the Bible, you know the entire Bible is one long admonition to get our doctrine right? You realize that? That's what the whole thing is about. Get our doctrine right so we can be redeemed. And when we get our doctrine right, that should lead to holiness, to right behavior. Right doctrine 
leads to right behavior. Bad doctrine leads to bad behavior. And if we have the right doctrine, if we know who Christ is and we know that he died for our our sins, to take our punishment away from us, out of gratitude for that, that ought to lead us to holiness. In fact, Paul tells his disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What's the implication of that? If you don't, you may damn yourself and your hearers. In fact, you need to watch your life and doctrine close closely. You need to persevere in those things so you can save yourself and save your, hero, your, your hearers, the people around you. Every one of us is supposed to be a priest, someone who is an example, someone who is an ambassador of Christ, for Christ, someone who is bringing the message to people, the message of grace, the message of redemption. And if we don't have our doctrine, and by the way, there are many in the progressive Christian movement now, which isn't really progressive because it's it's regressive. It's moving away from the truth. It's moving away from Jesus. It's not really Christian either because these people disagree with Jesus. Why do you call yourself a Christian if you disagree with Jesus? Anyway, these people, many of them deny the atonement. Well, that's the center of Christianity. That's the center of it. That Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the substitute. If you're denying that, you're denying the the essence of Christianity. And these people need to be exposed so the rest of us can concentrate on the truth. In fact, at the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter, he says this, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that if you don't believe in the atonement, you've departed from the faith. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you've departed from the faith. If you don't believe that Jesus' teachings are such that you ought to adhere to them in your life, you've departed from the faith. And shepherds need to keep wolves away. Sheepdogs need to need to bark when the wolves are around. In fact, um, uh, a great pastor here in Charlotte, a man by the name of Loran Livingston at Central Church of God. When I'm in town, I'm not in town very often, but when I am, we often go to Central Church of God. Loran is a, a great preacher. In fact, that church, Central Church of God, I've been to hundreds of churches and, and that church has the best music, and I don't care about music generally, that church has the best music I've ever heard. And Loran's brother, Dennis, uh, leads the unbelievable choir and full orchestra, and uh, they rip it there. It's an amazing, amazing church. Anyway, Loran is an old-time Southern preacher, and I remember one time, this had to go back 10 years ago, he had a, a people... Well, he just tells it like it is from the pulpit. He doesn't pull any punches. And uh, he was calling out false teachers one day, some of these prosperity gospel people. This had to be about 10 years ago, as I say. And uh, he started getting emails from people saying, oh, pastor, don't call out these people. Just preach Jesus. It's not right to call out these people. Of course, these people writing Loran these emails 
were ignoring the scripture. Some of them we just went through prior to the break that Paul called out people, even called out Peter at one point in Galatians chapter two. Anyway, so Loran gets up there the next week and he says, you know, I've gotten some emails from you people about how I could, I shouldn't name names, how I should just preach Jesus. He said, let me ask you guys a question. Suppose I came up here this Sunday and during the sermon, I said, I've just discovered that there's someone here in this church. In fact, he's on our staff. This, this man, he's teaching some of your children. And this man is teaching your children about pornography. He's introducing pornography to them. He's also introducing drugs to them. And he's introducing other aberrant teachings. What would be your first question when I said that? You would say, who is this person on your staff? And suppose I were to say, oh, I can't name names. Names. I shouldn't name names. I should just preach Jesus. You would be furious with me, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And drugs and pornography are very bad, obviously, but they don't necessarily take you away from eternity. Bad teach I mean, they can if you go down that road far enough. But bad teaching theologically can take you into a bad place in eternity. So if you're going to be all upset about drugs and pornography, which you should be, you should also be just as upset, probably more upset, when people are, are, are teaching you false doctrine and teaching your kids false doctrine. You need to know their names, don't you? Yeah, you do. All right. Let me mention one other thing to shift gears here a little bit. My son and I, who uh, is an intelligence officer in the military right now, but also has his degree from Southern Evangelical Seminary, ses.edu, that's a place you want to go to learn apologetics, philosophy, theology, ses.edu. That's where I went. That's where my son went. In fact, there's a, a great conference coming up that you ought to know about here in just south of Charlotte and Rock Hill. It's about a month from now. I think it's April 8th and 9th, if I, don't, if I have those dates right. Uh, you can go to our website, crossexamine.org, click on events to see it there. Or you can go to the ses.edu website. That conference is one of the best apologetics conferences in the world. It happens every year. This is They've been doing it for over 25 years. I'll be there. Jay Warner Wallace will be there. Elisa Childers will be there. Uh, so will, uh, I think, you Ross. Uh, so will John Cooper from Skillet. In fact, we're going to have John Cooper from Skillet on this podcast next week. John isn't just a rock star. He's actually out there speaking the truth and calling out false teachers. So we're going to have him on the show, uh, Lord willing, next week. Anyway, I say that because my son, uh, who is a graduate of SES, as I said, he and I have just written a new book called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. I want you guys to go to this website, hollywoodheroesbook.com, hollywoodheroesbook.com. The book is not out yet. It doesn't come out till May 3rd. But if you pre-order the book, wherever you pre-order books, and you can do so at this website, hollywoodheroesbook.com, if you pre-order the book, uh, we're going to send you the audio version for free. I'm the reader at the audio version. Just recorded it a couple months ago. It's available now, so you'll get it in advance. Uh, so pre-order the book. Uh, go to hollywoodheroesbook.com, and then if you submit your order 
uh, via email. I think that's the way we do it. Just go to the website, hollywoodheroesbook.com, and you can see how to do it. We're going to send you the audio book for free. It's, it's a great way to get your kids more interested in Christianity and to teach them biblical life lessons. That's what this book does by examining, it examines movie, uh, uh, superhero movie blockbusters like Captain America, Iron Man, uh, Star Wars, uh, Batman, Wonder Woman, what else? Lord of the Rings, not necessarily superheroes, but there are heroes in it. Uh, Harry Potter, you go, Harry Potter, are you kidding me? Didn't Christians boycott that? Yeah, you would be surprised how many parallels there are in the the Harry Potter story to Christianity. I know, I, I get that some Christian parents, and it's it's their prerogative to do what they want to do with, with, with that kind of storyline when you have uh, when you have a wizardry and all that in there. Uh, but if you can get past that, there's some amazing parallels between that world and the ultimate hero, Jesus of Nazareth. See, the ultimate hero is Jesus of Nazareth, and all these movie characters point to the ultimate hero, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what we show in this book, Hollywood Heroes. So check that out. Pre-order the book now because uh, you'll get the audio book for free. All right. Now, there's a bill that has come out called the Parental Rights and Education Bill in the state of Florida. We need to talk about this because uh, it actually has been demagogued as the don't say gay bill, okay? This is what the left often does. They try and demagogue bills that actually are positive bills, and they do so in the name of what they say is the LGBTQ movement. But this turns out actually to be a parental rights and education bill. It is supposed to protect kids, get this, from kindergarten to third grade, that's, that's, that's the scope of the bill. And the bill does not want any sexual, uh, any sexual curriculum being taught to kids from kindergarten to third grade, ladies and gentlemen. Now, in what world, ladies and gentlemen, should we be teaching about sex to kids in kindergarten to third grade? I don't know. I, don't, I can't see how anybody, anyone could be against this. But no, the left is against this bill. And they're using emotion and deception to override rationality and morality. And this is, this is done all the time. This is called linguistic, linguistic theft. When they try and take good-sounding words or a good-sounding bill and demagogue it. That's what's going on here. Now... Christina Pouchaw, who is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis' press secretary, actually said this in a tweet. She said, the bill that liberals inaccurately call the don't say gay bill would be more accurately described as the anti-grooming bill. Ooh, she's pulling no punches here. She goes on in another tweet to say this, and she's using the left, the left's own rules against them here. Here's what she says. She says, if you're against the anti-grooming bill, you are probably a groomer, or at least you don't denounce the grooming of four to eight-year-old children. Silence is complicity. This is how it works, Democrats, and I didn't make the rules. Wow. She's not pulling any punches, is she? She's using their own rules against them. Now, 
Disney initially said they were going to be neutral on this bill, but due to pressure from the left, they tried to meet with Governor DeSantis. Don't pass this bill. What did Governor DeSantis say to this? We're going to cover it right after the break and also deal with some of the moral implications of this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it. We're back in two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, do you really think that five or really four to eight-year-olds ought to be taught against their parents' wishes that they can be another gender, that they can and should have sex with anyone they want, and they can do so regardless of gender, because that's basically the message the left seems that they want to give to four to eight-year-olds. Well, as I mentioned before the break, Disney, who is supposed to be a family organization, right, who make a lot of money off of families, They wanted Ron DeSantis to come out against this bill and veto it. Now, Ron DeSantis just the other day went, it looks like he's in an elementary school here. uh, And so there are some parents around him. They're going to clap wildly. Okay, try and just get past that. This is the only audio we have. But he's in this uh, elementary school, it looks like, uh, with parents And he's explaining his position. Is he going to cave to Disney? What's he going to do? Now, he doesn't have any notes. It's just him talking extemporaneously. Here he is. So here's what I can tell you. Uh, In the state of Florida, uh, we are not going to allow them to inject transgenderism into kindergarten. First graders shouldn't have uh, woke gender ideology imposed in their curriculums. And that is what we're standing for because we're standing for the kids and we're standing for the parents. Uh, And I can tell you this, the chance that I am going to back down from my commitment to students and back down from my commitment to parents' rights simply because of fraudulent media narratives or pressure from woke corporations the chances of that are zero. And when you have companies that have made a fortune off being family friendly and catering to families and young kids, you know, they should understand that parents of young kids do not want this injected into their kids' kindergarten classroom. Uh, They do not want their first graders to go and being told that they can choose an opposite gender. That is not appropriate for those kids. And so if you're family friendly, understand uh, the parents who are actually raising families want to have their rights respected. And I also think that if you have companies like a Disney that are gonna say and criticize parents' rights, they're gonna criticize the fact uh, that we don't want transgenderism in kindergarten and first grade classrooms, if that's the hill that they're gonna die on, then how do they possibly explain lining their pockets with their relationship from the Communist Party of China? Because that's what they do and they make a fortune And they don't say a word about the really brutal practices uh, that you see over there at the hands of the CCP. And so in Florida, 
our policy is going to be based on the best interest of Florida citizens, not on the musing of global yeah. corporations. Well, amen to that. Ron DeSantis, the governor of California, I mean, governor of California, wish he was. He's the governor of Florida. <laughs> they need him in Florida, too. The governor of Florida pointing out that this is not right to put this kind of sexual curriculum on four to eight-year-olds. He's not going to stand for it. And thankfully, he's not going to bow to woke corporations. And when are parents going to stand up? Parents, when are you going to stand up and say, I will not tolerate anyone sexualizing or grooming my kids? In what universe is it morally right to sexualize four-year-olds? In what universe is it? Apparently, there are, there are parents hiding under their desks because they don't want to come across as intolerant. They don't want to come across as as the church lady. Now, look, look, I understand. This can be hard to do. It's hard to make your point in a short period of time without sounding like the intolerant church lady. If you had time to rationally unpack these issues, you could do it, but normally you don't. In fact, in front of a school board, you may have two or three minutes, right? So how can you do it? How, how can you actually make your point in this, in this backward culture now this, this culture that is hostile to all good things, it seems, and wants to promote evil things. How can you do it in a, in a way that is at least, to a certain extent, winsome? Well, I think you can do it by using some moral buzzwords that our society and the left often champion. In fact, here's how our friend Greg Kokel, the author of Tactics, Stand to Reason. Also, by the way, i got to mention CIA. CIA's coming up. Go to our website, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. Greg's one of the instructors. It's this August, I'm sorry, this J uh, July. We moved it to July in, in uh, Cincinnati this year. Uh, you need to sign up soon. Anyway, we'll, we'll have more on CIA coming up, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. That's where we teach you how to uh, be a better presenter uh, regarding apologetics. But I digress. Greg Kokel actually apparently read this at a board meeting a couple of years ago. Let me read it to you now. Here's how he did this to try and show that we ought not sexualize our children. Here's what he said, and you can find this on the Stand to Reason website. In fact, we'll put it in the link uh, of the podcast so you can have this. Here's what Greg said. He said, we are a diverse community and the school board values diversity. That means there are diverse understandings about controversial issues like human sexuality. Traditionally, parents have been the ones to carefully inform their children about these issues at a time and in a way appropriate for their age and within the protected environment of the family. The government, represented here by the school board, has not traditionally been allowed to interfere with education or with, with educating issues so critical to the family and so appropriate to private parental nurturing of their children. To do so would be to have family or to have individual family beliefs and values overridden by whatever group happened to be in power at the time. No one set of personal values should be allowed to dictate the beliefs of their children in a public education system that includes such diverse groups as Muslims and Christians and Orthodox Jews and Buddhists and humanists and atheists and so many others. Public values shared by all, on the other hand, values like honesty, kindness, truth-seeking, integrity, respect, etc., should be encouraged by all, including the schools, since they are agreed upon by all and are not controversial. 
However, contentious and divisive personal views should not be forced upon our children. This is indoctrination and replaces the parent's rightful role. When, ed, or when government takes over the responsibility of informing our children's private and personal moral values instead of the parents and individual families doing so, it is a step towards oppression and a significant and serious violation of the diversity and multicultural respect the school board stands for. In any group, if any group in power gets to force their personal values on our kids, then a different group, then when a different group gets power, they will be able to force their personal values on that group's kids. Neither is consistent with diversity, tolerance, or appropriate American liberty. Please, I respectfully implore you, leave that job to the parents of the children that belong to them and not to the state. Thank you, Greg Kokel. So Greg just wrote that out and read it at the school board meeting. And that's what you can do. Just write it out and read it. Now, notice he's using these words that it seems like everybody, at least on the surface, agrees with these words, even though they have different meanings. Diversity, tolerance, liberty, these kind of things. And the idea that we ought not impose our values on other people. You, if, if you take that approach, then you're not going to necessarily come across as the church lady. Now, I think if you have more time, you can point out that it is not appropriate morally to even talk about sex to kids at that age. But if you don't have time, you don't have time to unpack all that, you can just take the approach Greg has taken, which I think is a very wise approach. Just use these issues of diversity, tolerance, and liberty, and parental rights to say, you ought not be imposing this. And notice what he does in here. He also says that if somebody else gets into power that doesn't agree with you, are they going to impose their values on your kids? I mean, suppose a bunch of conservatives take over and they want to say that uh, we are going to we're going to do sex curriculum and we're going to say that uh, transgenderism is a mental disorder, uh, to use the old term. Or we're going to say that homosexuality is a mental disorder, to use the old term. That's, that's what it used to be called before the, uh, before the APA decided to change that. What if, what if you had people like that got on the board and they wanted to impose that and teach that to the kids? Well, the other side would be up in arms, right? So this approach, where you just let the parents deal with this issue, is the right approach. And in fact, look, kids who are four to eight years old they're not even thinking about sex. They don't even know what it is at that point. And so to even introduce this is not appropriate for the age group. You are unnecessarily trying to put on these kids a concept that they're not even old enough to understand. And they ought not be burdened with that anyway. But the left wants to do it. They want to burden these, these young kids thinking that they're somehow liberating them. They are not. So there's much more we could say on this, quite obviously, but uh, we'll have to pick it up in a future program. Again, check out the link in the website if you want to see that from Greg Kokel, or you can just Google Greg Kokel School Board, and uh, you'll see that 
right up right there and you can i'm sure greg is fine with you <laughs> using some of this language some of this verbiage that's why he put it up on his website okay all right friends great being with you i also want to mention that i will be again at uh, freedom house church this sunday and then monday night university of utah lord willing tuesday night Boise State University, Lord willing, it will be live streamed, so check it out on our website. And don't forget about the two courses. You can still get into Jesus versus the culture because our first Zoom session is the week after next, and you can sign up for Elisa Childers' Progressive Christianity. That starts in April. All right, friends, great being with you. God bless. See you next time.